So here's the thing, entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople, we all want to create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we want to do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question, and this show is dedicated to the answer. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, super excited to have my guest Steve Schultz with us today. Serial entrepreneur, former infomercial creator, investor turned juice man, aka in 2010, he founded a company called Nectar Juice Bar with the mission that healthy can be affordable, taste good, and make you feel good. So Steve, welcome to the podcast. Sam, good to be here, bud. Yeah, man, super yeah. excited, buddy. So, um, you know, we, we've got history. The, the people that are listening maybe have not, uh, may, I'm assuming everybody has seen Nectar with 165 locations in the US, right? So they- I'm not so sure that, but okay, but it is familiar. It's Locally a good start, right? Yeah. We, we'll go, we, we won't go through every one of the locations, but you know, most people, uh, certainly on the West Coast, are going to know this uh, know this incredible company. Um, but before we get into that, give them a little bit of your backstory. I, I, I said infomercials. You've done a lot of things. And then we'll kind of segue into why juice. Yeah, why juice? Let me go backwards a little bit, yeah. you know, as you, you suggested. And I yep. think that, you know, all my life I've been a serial entrepreneur, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, sw swing for the fences. Occasionally I hit one. Occasionally yeah. a couple base hits every now and then. A yeah. couple strikeouts. And, you know, away you go. But I think that... Uh, you know, I think that people have that internal fortitude and keep looking forward, and and that's kind of the the, the route that I took. Yeah. Um, if we want to go, if I go the immediate, uh, or just previously to not just previously, but mm -hmm. 10, 12 years prior to um, Nectar, I was in the infomercial business, mm -hmm. and the infomercial was a very fascinating business. You know, feast yeah. or famine. Yeah. Uh, you might spend a million dollars on a show or five hundred thousand dollars on a show, and in forty eight hours, you find out whether it works or it doesn't. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, I was working at the time with Guthy Ranker, so it wasn't my five hundred thousand or my yes. million dollars; it was theirs. Yes. Um, but it was a fascinating business, and in time, it evolved to an annuity type business in yes. the sense of subscription based. We were doing stuff with Tony Robbins, and the goal was to, you know. You know, Instead of selling one product, right. it's somebody that's spending money every single month with you guys. Yeah, and it made sense. I mean, you have people with Proactive, which was one of our popular products, and yep. you know things of that nature. We got to 2008, and when the economy started to, you know, crater, and there's some issues. What happened was, which which a lot of people didn't realize, what a lot of the credit cards got reduced on their limits. Yep. And so the re, the uh, both the decline rate and the, you know, return rate went from about one percent to 21 percent. That's what, people. Okay, so just to be clear, that means like instead of one percent of people's credit cards declining on a monthly reoccurring basis, now right. it's twenty one percent, and if return rates go to twenty one percent, you're out of business. And if you're assuming that your EBITDA is twenty percent yeah. or whatever it may be, and yeah. you're immediately off the bat with a decline rate or a return rate of twenty percent, you've yeah. got some issues. Yeah, uh, and there was really no way around it, um, and the, the the business was changing. And on a whim, while I was I was just wrapping up my last show. And I had started drinking juice at Mother's uh, down the street in yeah. Costa Mesa at 17th, yeah. which you probably yeah. remember course, where it is. Of and I was going in there, and, I, and at the time, actually, what I was trying to do was develop an infomercial for juice. And I thought, you know, what you want to do is find timely products. And yes. at that time, you know, uh, juice clean actually was for cleanses, actually. Yep. And the issue that we had at that particular time was I wanted to ship it to New York, and we're getting shipping rates of, you know, $100. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, you can't have shipping rates of 100 bucks, no. especially on a perishable product. I drop yeah. it off at somebody's you know, doorstep and yeah. doesn't come out so good. You know, just yeah. a lot of issues with it. 
Uh, and so I started going to Mother's, and as I was in there, I'd ask the, the guy behind the counter, I said, how many juices do you sell a day? And he'd say, oh, about two or 300, two or 300. And I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. But the issue that I had, just thinking things through, I said, you know, at $5, you sell two or 300, that's, you know, thousand bucks a day does that yeah. really make sense you yeah. know so what could possibly happen with this and um as i was driving home one day i looked across the street and again you and i are old enough uh unfortunately or fortunately depends how you look at it um that there was the starbucks slash dietrich's back yeah. on 17th when martin opened yeah. it up and it was kind of the third place before the third place and it yeah. was you know hardback or textbooks that people yeah. were working on yeah and so the idea suddenly struck of hey what if Weekend, I was talking to my wife at the time because it was a shared business and a shared idea, and you know, and uh, and the concept behind it was, what if we could reinvent the juice space, similar to the way Starbucks reinvented coffee? Okay, let's just stop right there. Okay, okay. Every entrepreneur listening right now, like I'm, I'm such a fan of. I was going to ask you, what was the question? What was the origin question? You just, you just gave it to me. Like you know, Bill Gates' question was, how do we have every computer run on our operating system? Walt Disney was like, what would a theme park be like if every horse jumped and there was no chip paint, right? That was the beginning of what we now know as Disneyland. So, so give me the origin question again. Yeah, so the, the, I think with all things, what you're trying to do is solve a problem. Yes. You know, yes. And I think that for years, you know, the legacy brands, the Jamba Juices of the yep. world, I think they all started with great intention back yep. in the early 90s. Yep. But as time went on, they went down that slippery slope. And by the time they got to 2010, it really wasn't much different than you know maybe one level above a, a Dairy Queen, yeah, but frankly, smooth, is yeah, it, exactly, it's a tree type deal. Yeah, and to me, I thought you know people really do. Uh, you saw a seismic shift in society. I mean, you were yeah. you were on this just yep. you're fundamentally not fundamentally you are a healthy person, your yep. family and such, and people were going to mothers, they're going to Whole Foods, yep. they're going to Trader Joe's. There's a shift in habit and yep. the way people viewed food. So ultimately, that's how we ended up with uh, with the store. So the concept, though, to even say, uh, you know, what would it be like to have, like, you know, could you create Starbucks for juice? I have another friend who, and I won't, I won't say his name, who said, how can I do marijuana like Starbucks or Starbucks for marijuana? Like, like that, was his, that was his same concept. When you came up with that thought, how long did it take you from, hey, this is an interesting idea to opening up your first store? Uh, very quick. You know, almost all, all things I do, I, you know, usually I... Yeah. Bam, and I just go. Yeah. So I think the idea was probably uh, mid-July. I think the lease was signed probably by 1st of August, mm -hmm. and the first location was open. And by 1st, yeah. there was no set, there wasn't an idea of two stores or 10 or 50 yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. It was just sort of a side business. Um, and we opened uh, October 8th in 2010 uh, in about 900 square feet. Mm -hmm. And we ended up doing about, you know, million three our first year out of a single location. So clearly there was demand for it. Yeah. So. And it was a, the former coffee spot. Everybody, everybody knew it, and all of a sudden, Nectar goes up. So, how did you come up with the name? Or who you know, came up with the name? So this is funny, yeah. you know. And uh, the a lot of people ask about that. You know, where what was the evolution of the name? And usually, there's a good story. Yeah. And so the story, which you'll be able very <laughs> usually, much usually, usually is a good story. And this, in this case, <laughs> no, it's a shitty story. No, actually, no, it's a great story because it's one that you'll you'll relate to very well. Yeah. So I was with one of your best friends in the world, yes. our buddy Claude, yeah, Claude Nicole, and he was going to get. Uh, What's he, he was rolfing with his buddy. He yes. goes with the rolfing type thing. Yes, of course. And I said, Claude, hey, I've got these names, but I'm kind of struggling. Yeah. Dude, let me think about it. I'm going rolfing, and I think I've, 
I think during this time, I think something's <laughs> going to come to me. <laughs> As his muscles are being torn apart by uh, uh, Amadeus. Uh, what's his face? Yeah, Amadeus, the, the rolfing guy. Yeah, yes. it was a rolfing guy. So he comes yes. out of it. He calls me. He says, I got your name. Yeah. And so he had the name. And then uh, then I went through the uh, phonic spelling of it. Sure. In a sense, to switch that up. And so yeah. that's the evolution of, uh, of how, the na- how the name came about. I love it. So, so when you talk about you know starting a business like this, what was the original mission or vision and and did you did did it stay that way since 2010 or is it altered? You know, I think all business is altered. I, I, I think that you know, as a person, meaning a human, you see it mm-hmm. in yourself, you yep. see it uh, in what you preach and everybody else does in a business. I think that you have to evolve. Yeah. You know, and I I give this uh, uh, example to my staff all the time. I was in a in one of our meetings of you know. Last week, we had yeah. all the department heads in there. And I said, okay, here, here we go. I've got, and I had my nice new Apple phone, right? Yeah. And I said, so Tim Cook, Apple, he's going to announce August 15th that they're going to come out with the 2000, they're going to come out with the iPhone 13. Yeah. So they set the date, you know, for mid-September, right? Everybody's excited. And he walks out and he says, all right, here's the iPhone 13. It's exactly like the iPhone 12. Yeah. Have a great day. Yeah. What's going to happen? No. I mean, you can't do it. So no. you know, you've got one of the greatest companies in the world, exactly, or Amazon, whoever it may yep. be, and they're always trying to push to evolve and grow. Yep. And I think that uh, with any brand, I think you have to stay true to who you are. So yep. I think that's essential. Mm-hmm. But I think there has to be brand extensions and evolutions and in, in ideas and concepts and thought mm-hmm. uh, and how you both manage the business, how you grow the business, how your offerings are presented. Yep. So I think there's a number of things that uh, people sometimes don't take it in consideration so yeah we're gonna get into a bunch of that so so let's talk about early days um how did you create a degree of separation between you and the jamba juices you and the you know as you said sort of a step above dairy queen you know it's become a popular term over the last you know number of years which was basically disruption yeah which was our our goal was to reinvent the juice space similar to starbucks as i yep. had mentioned earlier and when we looked at it, it was full of fillers and you know, yogurts and ice creams and all this kind of yeah. stuff. And my wife and I at the time also enjoyed the idea of a very simple menu, i.e. Uh, in and out burger. Yeah. And so we said, you know what, I bet you people will, will, will want authentic and real products. So we, yeah. we, we opened a location. It cost probably $50,000 to open. Uh, and it was six juices, six smoothies, four bowls, and that was it. Nothing yeah. processed. Yeah. The smoothies had, uh, you have a choice of, uh, the filler was, or still is house made nut milk or coconut water, mm-hmm. and the juices are you know, parsley, kale, spinach, apple, freshly pressed in front of you. Yep. And so the idea was to get rid of the processed, get rid of all the crap that people are having these yep. days, and uh, give people an authentic experience. Yeah. And, and also make it affordable in the sense of, at the time you saw a few juice bars in LA that were what I would consider to be elitist. All of a sudden it's 10, 12 sure. bucks, you know, and that I'm yeah. like, you know, I don't care whether you go to Lululemon or you drive a Range Rover, you work at Staples, or you. McDonald's, it doesn't matter. I yeah. want it to be affordable and accessible to yeah. anybody that chooses that lifestyle. Yeah. And I think that was the key. Looking you even reading on your website, like affordable, tastes good, it makes you feel good. Right. And it seems like you stayed true to that, you know, from the very beginning. No, well, you look at it, I think the juice fundamentally can be an intimidating idea or concept. You go into sure. some of these locations, there's too many choices. I think that yeah. if you look back on the day, you think of carrot juice, you think yeah. of wheatgrass. You know, a wheatgrass shot, yeah. exactly right. So, so the key was, okay, how can you make it taste good? Yeah. You know, and that's where the magic of, you know, Alexis came in and developed some terrific, uh, you know, formulas that people really seem to, uh, seem to enjoy. And yeah. I worked on the marketing aspect and one thing led to another. Did it start in the very beginning with the juice cleanse 
Like, did, are the original six drinks, like, is that the original one-day juice cleanse, or did that come afterwards? You know, it's interesting you mention, mentioned that because the, well, the, all the, the, they all came together in the sense that we had a deli case, which was our uh, cleanse products, mm-hmm. and then we had our menu items. Yeah. And in developing the cleanse, we had six individual drinks, which didn't mirror the drinks that were on the menu. Sure. But where the infomercial experience came in is people like systems, people yes. like processes, Process. right? Yeah. And so... So the idea went one, two, three, four. There you go. I mean, I've done this, you know, this cleanse so many times. I love it. Which one am I on? Ruby, bring me three. Yeah, exactly. Number four. Exactly right. And so so the idea is when when I talked to our designers, I said, okay, I want to put one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. And I said, Alexis, do you have any idea which order these maybe should go in? Yeah. Is there a method to that? Is there a method to this? And and, and there was. Yes, Um, of course. But I think the idea of making it, uh, Make it a platform in which it's very easy to follow made it a lot easier. Yeah. So yeah, it's almost uh, it's hysterical. Like living in Newport Beach, as we do, you you come back and it's like ski week ends, and I'm driving by the PCH store and I can just see everybody lining up as you know the holiday break is over, time for a juice cleanse. Like, is it is it that seasonal the business? Am I am I? No, you hit it right. In that. And the difference being between again, I'll use the, the term yeah. legacy brand. Yeah. If you look at legacy brands, that would fall into yogurt. Uh, you know the Jambas and mm-hmm. etc. They're considered a treat brand in our space or our yeah. industry, which which a treat uh, brand usually is about uh, spring break to Labor Day. Yeah, we're considered a lifestyle brand. Yeah, as you know, January first first hits. New year, we've new all you. we've all been yeah. there. Yep. New year, yep. new you. Uh, you want to lose weight, get in shape, make more money, do this, mm-hmm. and you know all of a sudden the doors just get busted down with yeah. hey. I'm going to lose weight, get in shape, get a yeah. cleanse, and start yeah. eating healthier. So yeah, uh, which extends our season. A lot. So it's a, it's an important uh, aspect of what we do. So I want to talk about scaling. So just for, for context, for the person listening or watching right now, they have 165 stores, 2,000 employees. And we start, you know, started this thing in 2010. So clearly he understands scale. Um, but I want, to, I want to go back to the very beginning first before we talk about the sort of size and scope and management philosophy of, of what you're doing today. So in the very beginning, like what was, what was the night before opening like? The night before opening, you know, I didn't have time to worry about anything. Meaning, the, yeah. the, the, the worry was, hey, is the is the paint done? Do we have the yeah. produce? Do yeah. the kids know how to make the, yeah. uh, you know, the juices and the smoothies? And yeah. and the biggest concern, frankly, I had was, is anybody going to show up? Yeah, well, that was you, the biggest. Did you do worry. any pre marketing? Yes, I bribed people like you and some <laughs> other friends to make sure that they came, <laughs> yes, so that exactly. it wasn't just dead empty. So that I was could, the marketing plan. That was my marketing plan: yes. call all my friends, make them come, yes. and yeah. spend five dollars and call yeah. it a day. So that was really how it, uh, you know, how it evolved, uh, you know, from that first day, so to speak. But it yeah. wasn't really too. I think it was the first night we were driving home. Uh, and Alexis and I lived not too far away, maybe yeah. a mile away. Yeah. And she said, hey, you know what, Steve? I said, what's that? She goes, we're going to build this into the Starbucks of juice. And wow. so, so I thought it was very interesting. And, yeah. uh, and I thought after about one that. day. After the first night, she just said that on the way home, you know, five, six, seven o'clock at night. And, uh, and that resonated and sort of <laughs> stuck with me over the years. So Yeah. So when you think about um, that first day, it actually looks like the first month. So you did, like you said, a million three in revenue the first year out of that first location yeah that's yeah right so so all of a sudden you're doing i mean was the first month 110 120,000 or was the first month 30 or 40,000 did it did it have a, a ramp up period and then hit that sort of number or was it was it scaling the whole way no yeah it, it, it ramped up i mean certainly we didn't do 100,000 the first month and as you would imagine it um 
and frankly, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but yeah. if, if I were to guess, it would have probably been a 40,000, a 60,000, an 80,000. Yeah. And all of a sudden we hit the first of the year and all of a sudden everybody wants to do a cleanse. Yeah, yeah new year, I mean, new year. We're there yeah. 24 hours a day, Yeah, you know, pressing juice, coming in two o'clock in the morning, making the bottles ourselves, yeah. packaging, you know, doing everything we could. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask you, like at, at what point, and, and maybe help us understand the business because, you know, when you think about 165 locations, Right. I mean, are, are they making all the juice in-house? Did you outsource some of this stuff? Like, how, how, how does all that work? When we first started, we were making the, for instance, obviously we have the menu items. Yeah. And then we have the separate items, which are the bottled juices. And at mm -hmm. our peak, as far as the number of SKUs, we probably had 20 some different SKUs. Mm -hmm. which what's, frankly, a, what's a SKU for the person uh, Basically, it's a, a, an item. An of item, the, yeah. yeah. Juice so A versus juice B juice versus B. C, D, yeah. Yeah, it might be a healing greens, a fresh greens, a, you know, a, a skinny lemonade, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, and so we made those in store just because it made sense. My thought on that was, hey, we're paying rent. And I don't know if you know this, but when you pay rent, you're actually paying rent 24 hours a day. So when mm -hmm. we close, we're still paying rent. So I yeah. said, what are we gonna do when we close? Why not make bottles there? And so forth. Yeah. When the volume got too big, then <clears throat> we, we grew to, I think in the first year and a half, two years, we, grew, we went to five different offices slash warehouses mm -hmm. we went from a thousand to three thousand to ten thousand to fifteen thousand yeah. started buying more equipment um and then eventually we got to the point where we just couldn't handle the volume anymore in the sense of we're making upwards of you know a hundred thousand bottles a week yeah um so therefore we went to a co-packer to make yeah. it in mass scale simply because yeah. we just couldn't handle it so and is that so is that the process today i mean for the entrepreneur that's listening who maybe has you know a similar idea maybe not a juice idea or something else like it sounds like do it, do it, do it yourself, yourself, grow, grow, grow. And then you hit a certain number where it just doesn't make economic sense anymore, time sense anymore. I, uh, I think la the latter. I think it's more of time sense. I think that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and you do preach because I know you got to do what you do well. Yeah. And when we looked at it, we had plans drawn up. We had leased a building. We we're going to build a manufacturing facility. Yep. And right when we were ready to, you know, sign the contract to build it, I came to the realization of, I'm not, a, I don't, I don't want to get in the manufacturing business. Yeah. That's yeah, not yeah, my yeah. business. My yeah. business is to serve the guest. Yeah. You know, somebody else that, you know, that understands that business can do a lot better job than I can. Yeah. And so we end up finding a company, uh, out of Wilmington, which is just, you know, outside of Long Beach and, um, have developed a longstanding relationship with them and, uh, you know, started off, uh, as their first juice client. They now have, you know, quite a few, uh, sure. you know, clients in there. We've grown along the way with them. And, yeah. uh, so it's been a very fruitful experience and, Wow, funny words. Um, and I think that the idea was they could go ahead and make the juice do what they do well. I yeah. could go ahead and do what I do well. Bingo. Serve the client. So um, what what would you say were some of the early hurdles? Like what were some of the moments where you and Alexis were like, I'm not sure if this is going to work or how we're going to get through this? You know, I think everybody goes, it depends on what the business, business is. You know, for mm -hmm. us, we went through a variety of growth phases, meaning yeah. that we, in 2012, I think it was, actually it was 2013, I decided I wanted to open 30 locations. Yeah. Genius idea. Yeah. Maybe not so genius after yeah. all. Looks good on paper. Look right on paper. Yeah. And so all of a sudden I take all our locations, I spread our talent out too thin. Mm -hmm. uh, the guest experience went, you know, down the shitter. Uh, mm -hmm. Oversight, management, everything Quality was just, control, like oh my God, it was just awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it took yeah. us about a year to recover. Yeah. You know, so I think that the, a lot of people have this idea and they, they're in a rush. Yeah. You know, and I think that anybody going to business, the last thing they've got to do is be in a rush. They've got to understand their business. Mm -hmm. They've got to do the work. Um, 
uh, embrace all aspects of it and grow and be patient with it, not uh, yeah. try and put the hammer to it, so to speak. That is for everybody watching and listening. It's so important because, you know, especially in the startup culture, whether it's software or, you know, for a lot of our clients, real estate and, and mortgage, et cetera, you know, this, this like, I got to race, I got to hurry. Like, you know, like I'm running a sprint. I'm like, no, life and business is a marathon. Like it takes time, right? You, you go through these evolutions of business and how you have to evolve, how you have to change. And most people just don't get that. So, no, and, and this is a good example. I'll give you a yeah, good example. Please. So fundamentally, we're a corporate brand and yeah. we got 2012, 13. Uh, and obviously, not obviously, but we're getting a lot of franchise inquiries. You know, I was going to ask you about that. And so franchise yeah. is a different business than corporate. Yeah. And so we were, and at the time, we're, we're receiving three to five inquiries a day at a minimum. Um, and obviously, it's a temptation when somebody's sure. getting to $35,000 that you can sell, you can raise millions of dollars in a very yeah. short period of time. Yep. Um, but we weren't sure yet whether we were going to go franchise or corporate. So therefore we decided what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and, uh, award six franchises and then we're going to sit on it for two years. Mm -hmm. It was a very iterative relationship. I yep. wanted to see if they represented the brand standards, how operations, the guest experience, yeah. um, how we related to them and vice versa. And once that time was over and we were very disciplined on that two years, and it proved to be a fruitful relationship. Then we took about a year to develop the franchise uh, platform and system. Simultaneously, we're building corporate locations. Yeah. Where today I see a lot of brands out there where they have one or two, and next thing you know, they try and spread across the country. Yep. And the concept behind that to me is if I don't know the brand, if I don't know, if I haven't been through the ups and the downs and done all aspects mm -hmm. of it, how can I in good conscience sell you a system and a franchise? Yeah. Because that's what you're buying. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you're uh, buying a system. You are, and uh, yeah. you look cost at me X. It's going to cost me Y to build it, but I should make, you know, Z return on it every single year if I do it right. No, when people look at it, and uh, you know, today we've got you know probably forty-five corporate locations, give or take. Mm -hmm. um, so, in an essence, we're the largest franchisee of the brand. Yeah, you know, so there's nothing that we haven't been through that they haven't been through. Yeah, which I think helps us understand that aspect, which in the franchise business I think is very critical. So interesting for a lot of my real estate clients that are listening to this. Um, <laughs> I had a, 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 I will not name the CEO, but he said, hey, I want to do a, re a recruiting experiment to figure out why agents would choose my brand versus another brand. And I said, well, the first thing we should do is we're going to get a, a basically a secret agent to go interview six of your own companies and then go interview five or six competitors, right? And what we learned in the six of his own franchises is everyone had a different pitch. Everybody had a different offer. Everybody offered a different commission split. And here's the guy that owns the master franchise rights. And he's like, no, no, this is how we do it. And everybody was, did you deal with some of that? Like, no, I, some, yeah, like I, early and quality that, control issues? Sure, like and you still have it today. I mean, you've got to have everybody on the same page. You've yeah. got to have everybody connected. So how do you do that? How do you do that with 165 you know, leaders and owners? And Yeah, basically it comes out of structure. I mean, you've got, you know, uh, everything from field marketing managers to FBCs, which yeah. basically are managing the field, to district yeah. managers, general managers, to, you know, uh, there's basically systems and processes in mm -hmm. place that you have to have. But I think that transparency but did, is key. But did you know all this going in? You Come on, you were the infomercial guy. Well, you right? know me. Like, I don't know shit. So I don't I, know. I still I don't know, know much. I, I still, I might sound good sometimes, but otherwise I don't freaking know anything. So so did you bring in consultants for this? Like, you know, did you hire a, a really great logistical operations person? What did you do? Oh, so here was our- you're a sales guy. You're like I, me. Like, we're sales guys. Yeah, no, I'm not. Yeah, exactly. I, I, frankly, I want to be the dumbest guy in the room every time. Yeah. I mean, my goal really is- 
and it drives me crazy when I sit in, in the uh, in my meetings with people yeah. that you know, department heads and such, yeah. and they just are intimidated by people that are smart. They don't want to hire. Yeah. And to me, I think that's the craziest thing in the world. But yeah, I'm off point here. Um, so oh, did, so did so here's a, here's my here, did no, you bring in people? To, no, so here was a yeah. genius idea. Here's here's where we almost put the company out of business. So we're at about twenty five locations. Like, here's a genius idea where we almost put the company <laughs> out of business. <laughs> no, and I think people I think people have yeah. to learn from this. I think it's yes. very very important. So we had twenty locations. You know, we're getting a lot of buzz in the private equity mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. We're an emerging brand. Mm-hmm. We're getting a lot of publicity, winning awards, doing yeah. all this kind of stuff. So hey, yeah. we're big shit, right? Yeah. Uh, so now what we've got to do is we got to bring in the talent. We're going to start taking people from, you know, Starbucks and the big yeah. brands that really can drive it forward. Yeah, and so I hired a whole group of uh, Starbucks executives, so to speak. Yeah, sit in the conference room, and okay, they're like, "All right, where's the manuals, the books? Uh, what do you want me to do next?" Yeah, where's the process? Yeah, I, where's the know, documents? Literally, how do I we mean, do this? Yeah. How do we how do we do it? And there was any passion behind what they were doing. Yeah, and so all of a sudden, you send these guys out to the field. They were just, you know, punching the clock, so to speak. Yeah. It's as though they worked for Procter and Gamble, and they go into the traditional training program. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it uh, offended a lot of our. Um, uh, our team members, you know, mm-hmm. they felt passionate about the brand. They've been yeah. there a long time. Yeah. They grew up with it. And all of a sudden we bring these outsiders in. Uh, and it lasts about six months. And finally, I just let delivery every single one go. Yeah. Um, and so now when I hire somebody, they certainly have to have a skill set depending on what it sure. is. But usually it's based on passion. So usually it's based on passion, yeah. curiosity, drive, yeah. ambition, yeah. you know, things of that nature. But uh, the resume rarely will I look at. I glance at it depending on what the, yeah. the skill set is. But uh but uh, you know, passion and desire and all those things are so important. It's, it's such a. It's interesting. There's a, a Ray Dalio's book, um, Principles. He talks about it all the time. Like you know, I don't look at the resume. I look at the disc profile. Like, does the disc profile match the job description? And like, do they have some passion there? Is there something behind them that they're fired up about this? Which means they're going to be willing to argue and debate their perspective and not just you know succumb to you know whoever's the boss inside the room, right? So smart. No, you're absolutely right about it. And you have to have people that aren't, aren't afraid to challenge you. I mean, yeah. the last thing I want yeah. is you don't want yes people in the room. You want people yeah. to argue and debate and challenge your yes. position so that you can provide the best product and service, whatever it may be, whether it yeah. be in real estate or whether it be in, you know, in our business. Yeah. Uh, that's how you grow. Yeah. Talk about the, the most complex problem you had to solve in your business. Oh, geez. I mean, you think of just, uh, just some I'll, people listen, like, like, think about like McDonald's, right? Like, right. who brings the food? Who, you know, who trains the people? Who gets the leases? I mean, there's, you get a lot of moving parts in your business, and you say it's juice, but that, even that is complicated. Oh, by far the most complicated uh, and complex issue we've had is supply chain. Yeah. You know, uh, you know you're talking about 160 locations, 17 states, yep. you know, 68 different, you know, cities. Um, and you've got to get people the same product. You've got probably upwards of 80 different, 90 different SKUs that all have mm-hmm. to arrive at 6 a.m. every day to each location. Yeah. Uh, and it can be very problematic because you're relying on a number of uh, other people to execute from their yeah. position. Meaning, yes, yeah. the, the, the mission and directive can go out from corporate, but they got to be able to execute in the field. And if they don't, which they haven't, which some of these guys have not, yeah. then we have some problems. Yeah. And so uh, so we had some real issues last year with supply chain. Um, 
we uh, finally resolved it, but it took six months to, to fix. You know, so it's a very what difficult the, what problem. Was the, what was the biggest, like, what was the obvious problem and then how did you solve it? We, you know, I think the responsibility clearly falls to us, and we were we were taking our distribution centers, which basically fundamentally produce uh, deliver produce, just like you would, yeah. right? Yeah. But now we ask them, hey, while you're delivering produce, can you deliver the bottled drinks, our soft goods, and mm -hmm. things such as granola, napkins, and this? And they weren't used to it. Yeah. They were used to going in the bed. The drivers would go back, grab, buy a box of apples or lettuce and there deliver it to a restaurant, right? Yeah. But now they're asked to, hey, you got to grab napkins, you got to grab bottles, you got to. Mm -hmm. And the drivers would forget. And all of a sudden, say you have a franchisee in Houston. Yeah. And it's Friday morning and yeah. they're supposed to deliver, say, 14 cases of acai. And he's like, oh, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I yeah. forgot. You can imagine how that goes over. Yeah. yeah Not yeah, so yeah. well. Yeah. You know, so, uh, and, I mean, corporate owned. That's a fiasco franchise. It's probably even worse. Yeah. Right. Because the expectation is, hey, you said the product was going to be here and that's this is how we operate. And it means no revenue for the day. And yeah. And that's what they and that's what they pay us. That? And that's what they pay us for. I mean, they're, they're paying yeah. us for that system. And if I've got a system that's flawed. Yeah. You know, why should they pay for a flawed system? Yeah. And, uh, and it was a very problematic issue and uh, one we took very seriously and one that we invested a lot of time and money in. Mm -hmm. uh, and fortunately, the franchisees were very patient with it. Granted, very frustrated. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, the upside is, is, you know, it's fixed. We, uh, signed a significant contract with, uh, you know, a 40 or $50 million contract with Cisco. We brought mm -hmm. their executive team in there and, yeah. um, and rolled it out in mid December. And, and there were some problems in the transition sure. just like you would have, but, uh, we're finally heading the right direction with the uh, supply chain. So that's important. So, so it's interesting. Let's talk about, um, communication and sort of management philosophy. First of all, when you, uh, when you started this, did you ever think it'd be 165 locations and 2,000 plus employees? No, and you know, it never crossed my mind. And I think that you know, and I think this applies to any entrepreneur. I yeah. think that the everything is part of a process. Mm -hmm. You know, you and I are both golfers. If yeah. you and I are for, on the first tee, and and the only thing we're thinking about is breaking 80. Yeah, you know, we're not going to break 80. Yeah, if we're thinking that, hey, let's just one swing at a time. <laughs> exactly. You know, keep my head down and finish my swing. We're still not going to break 80, but <laughs> but uh, you but, might. Yeah, I might. definitely we'll, not me. We'll see. But that, but I think that's the process people have to put in place. And so for me, I really didn't have time to think about it. My goal was, and the concept was, if I provide a good product, a great guest experience, yep. yeah, uh, then everything else will take care of itself. Yeah. So I really wasn't worried about the. You know, the, the end result. And, and, yeah, locations and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, it's certainly over time. I mean, over time that evolved and you yeah. have to, you have responsibilities to a variety of different people. And so you have to sure. evolve that thinking and that concept. But certainly the first number of years, my goal was just really directly focused on that aspect as day to day. Hey, it's Tom Ferry. Question, what's your favorite social media platform? Are you big on Insta? Do you love to tweet? No matter where you answer, I'd love for you to connect with me there. All you gotta do is just type in at Tom Ferry and follow and let's you and I connect. I wanna be able to deliver the right content, the right ideas, the ways to help you grow your business, stay fired up, keep moving, be in action and run plays that work platform that matters most to you. So subscribe and I'll see you there soon. So let's talk, let's talk about that. Raising, raising capital versus, you know, like friends and family versus private equity versus debt service with banks. Like, did you do all three? Uh, yes, I've, I've done all three in the sense of, uh, we, had, well, we haven't done private equity, friends and personal, yeah. but I'll yeah. back up here. So it was, yeah. um, 
initially our you know our funds in the sense of personal funds yep. funded the growth. Uh, then we uh, did a friends and family round. Yep. And once we raised enough money through friends and family, the bank was willing to match whatever we raised. So yeah. we raised a few million dollars. I'll go ahead and give us three million dollars. Yep. Um, and so that's how we grew it. You know, over the years we've been approached, and a lot of people get approached by private equity firms sure. and this. And, sure. you know, so I think that, and I do think that there is a time for private equity and there isn't, but mm -hmm. I think that uh, that's going to evolve. Um, uh, that'll evolve over time on the direction we want to go with that. But for us, I think that, you know, that the the debt was important and the um, private, not private equity, but the friends and family round was important. Mm -hmm. And once you get to a certain stage, I mean, where we are today, where we're fundamentally um, uh, a franchise brand. Yeah. And, and what we learned on that was, I'll give you a quick example. When we first started, we were in Southern California and Arizona and things that we could really control. Mm -hmm. And I decided, hey, let's go to Texas. Yeah, which, I thought it made sense. Yeah. And so we opened three locations in Texas. But again, if it's, you know, 2,000 miles away and you've got 18-year-old kids working on a store, you really don't have the trust, the management, mm -hmm. they count the apples every night. Yeah. You know, uh, we were doing about 600,000, 500,000 a store. We sold it to a local franchise in, uh, in Texas. Within 18 months, he was upwards of 800,000 to a million bucks a store. He was local. He understood the market. Saying, He's, and the, the lessons, yeah. And so, your lessons learned is, yeah. you know, if I can't, if I can't, if I don't have the infrastructure, just like anybody else, yeah. whether it be you or anybody yeah. else, if you don't have the infrastructure, you've got to handle a different. You've got to look at the problem in a different way. Yeah, it's so interesting. I know for a lot of my uh, longtime listeners and longtime clients uh, as agents, this sort of evolution over the last like seven or eight years, where you know Steve Schultz is amazing and he's killing it in Newport Beach for you know brand X. And he says, but God, I could probably do an office in San Clemente. I could probably do an office in Long Beach. Then heck, I might as well go to Santa Monica. And, and not, not as a franchise, but as an individual agent, they start opening up these multiple locations. And, and in most cases, they fail miserably because of the lack of structure, the lack of the local knowledge. You know, they, they try and find one guy or one gal there to lead it. And maybe that person works or maybe they don't. I mean, you, you had some of the same thing. So how did you solve that? Well, and there's a lack of, just like, it's exactly what happens in our business and happens in any business. Yeah. There's a land of brand awareness. Yeah. You know, so, you know, they may be, if they're a very successful broker here, say in Newport Beach or yep. Irvine or whatever, and they yep. kill it, but now all of a sudden they think they can duplicate that success in Santa Monica and San Diego, yep. whatever, but nobody knows who they are. They don't recognize a brand. They don't have the support. They don't have the infrastructure. They're going to spread themselves too thin as just recipe for disaster as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. You know, so I think that, uh, you know, I think that that is absolutely critical to people underst that understand it. So all of a sudden, you know, we're well known in Southern California and Arizona and now Texas. But now that we start making the reaches to the East Coast, which are yeah. down in Florida and other places, uh, we underestimated what it would take to grow the brand in those areas, yeah. uh, which to me, I think is important that we corporately invest a lot of money. We yeah. get street teams out there. You yeah. do a lot of things. That, I was going to ask you, like, you give know. us the, give us like a high level. What's the marketing look like for a launch of a new location in a different state? Uh, it's a combination of things. Obviously, we'll have a digital campaign yep. that's you know hyper focused, um, and just like everybody says, twenty five oh, to thirty five female juice healthy. Facebook, press the button. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, go to Facebook. Go to Yelp. Do all you know yeah. those, those traditional ads. But as they say, all business is local. Again, whether it be yes. real estate or anybody else, yes. it's all local. So what you've got to do is you got to reach out to those people in that area. You look at that one to three mile radius. Yeah. You get street teams out there of you know five to fifteen people canvassing yeah. the 
area, giving out samples, yep. um, volunteering. You know, this is the, this is the Uber. This is how Uber launched cities. The same, you know, but they would throw a party, then they would do the same same thing, like meeting all the local drivers, meeting all the local business people. So it's just, does it work? It, no, it does. I, I think it's a little. Uh, the problem you have with with the situation being franchised is mm-hmm. it's a matter of whether the franchisee is going to buy into it. Yeah, you know, in the sense of. Are, you know, you had mentioned brokers and all having sort of different messages. Yeah. If they all have the same message, they're probably gonna be much more effective. Yeah. And they're gonna follow the systems. Yeah. You know, we have the systems because because we know what works and doesn't work. Mm-hmm. We've got a franchisee as an example out in uh, in Redlands, and he had a process in which he opened the store. His store in Redlands probably does a hundred thousand dollars a month. Wow. I mean, just an unbelievable yeah. success. It. And based through his platform, we've used that for a lot of franchisees. And yeah. so we had one up in Northern California. And they had Taco Bells, and they open a Taco Bell, and people come. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, ah, that's just quite not as known. <laughs> it's not. This is not Taco Bell. We're not. We're not Taco Bell. Yeah. And so I said, this is what you got to do because these are these are the proven formulas. And, yeah. But they didn't want to do it. Yeah. Sure enough, their sales suffered. Finally, three months later, they filed the platform. Sales jumped thirty percent, and they've been successful ever since. Yeah. So people have to file. People have to be on the same page, and you've got to make sure that you, you hold them, you know, accountable to that. So. I have in the back of my mind all the time that ever dimming junior famous line, a system will produce what a system will produce, nothing more, nothing less, right? Like just follow the plan, man, follow the process. No, and so many people don't, they, you know, they have yeah. their own ideas yes. and their own concepts. I can do and, it better. Yeah, and every or, now and then there's I, love, I love this one. I like things to be loosey goosey. I'm like, really? I don't think that's, I don't want you as a doctor. You know, I don't. I don't want that person making juice. That well, scares I, I, me. No, and I use that example. You know, everybody yeah. likes structure. Whether it's me or whether it's yes. whether it's, whether it's my flipping yes. dog. Yes. You know, do I want my dog? Oh, I feel bad because my dog sits, stays, whatever it does, right? Yeah. Or I give the dog no discipline, and it jumps on the couch and shits in the rug poops and does everywhere. all over things, poops yeah. everywhere, does yeah. all the thing. Yeah. No, give it structure, give yeah. it discipline, and you're yeah. gonna be much more successful. And they're gonna feel safer and produce, you know, have a higher production. So, yeah. do you have a management philosophy or a management style? Uh, well, it's funny because we talk a lot about a structure. You know, I have a uh, glass office and an open door. And what I mean is literally a glass office. Uh, I require that everybody comes into my office basically all the time because I want to, mm-hmm. you know, hear what they have to say. Yep. Uh, I demand that they are direct with every issue that they have. You know, if there's an issue, don't beat around the bush. Don't yeah. beat around the bush. Yep. Tell me what it is. Going yeah. back to being the smartest person in the room, well, more yep. in the room. You know, we used to have situations in which we'd have, you know, 15 people in, a, in the conference room mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I come in and it's dead quiet. Yeah. And then 15 minutes before they, you know, going all over the place. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I've had it. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I've had it with them. Um, as far as my management style, it, it's funny. I think that uh, we've got a very young, um, engaged uh, team. And mm-hmm. I think I follow that uh that philosophy. I'm not a fundamentally, you know me well enough. I'm not a pat in the back type guy. Yeah. I'm not the guy that walks in the door and Hey, and give everybody a hug. That's just not me. No. You know? Um, so, uh, I'm going to write a book, you know, how to be successful by cutting everybody down. Yeah. <laughs> He's <laughs> yeah. kidding. Not kidding. Here. No, not cutting. But it's more of a, what I want to do is I want to joke and develop a yes. relationship with yes. them. That's exactly. respectful and iterative yes. and have yes. fun yes. and grow. But let's not and, take each other too seriously. Let's not like, take each other too yeah, seriously. Let's have some fun here. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's, let's grow and have some fun. Yeah. What do you, yeah. what do you, and where do you want to do? Where do you want to go? And what do you want to do? Yeah. Because you have some people that may be great at one thing, yep. but they really want to do something else. And, yeah. you know, so you got to basically really hone their talents. Yeah. Any management books or just business books in general that stick out for you? 
Um, well, I, Traction, I think, was fantastic. You know, for me, yeah. Traction, I thought was a fantastic yeah. book. Um, the uh, I've been reading uh, Trillion Dollar Life Coach, which I think is yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I think that's a terrific book. Yeah, um, book. Just bought Bob Iger's book. I haven't read it yet, but yeah. uh, I'm Bob Iger's thing on um, what's the online learning platform, guys? Uh, masterclass. Masterclass. That masterclass was devastating. Yeah. yeah. Really good. Yeah, yeah. Those guys, I mean, yeah. the, the skill set of some of these guys, you mm -hmm. know, for me, you know, people talk about, they, what's your routine and what do you do? You know, for yeah. me, yeah. I listen to basically either podcast or a book on tape virtually every morning. So yeah. I'm having breakfast yeah. and it's amazing what it does for your head, for your mind, for your sure. motivation. Yeah. All of a sudden, you might be a little bit slow. You might be whatever. Yeah. Bam, you pop that up or you're having mm -hmm. a little cup of coffee and yeah. away you go. Yeah. For me anyway. No, I'm, you know. I'm the same exact way. So, um, so kind of switching gears. At this point, how do you, okay, how do you come up with a new product and then how do you launch a new product? You know, man, I think that the, again, I think that coming up with a new product goes back to solving a problem. Yeah. I think that, you know, I think that you've got to, there are more opportunities today than there ever were. There's a mm -hmm. lot of people that believe that, you know, it's saturated, it's this, that's not yeah. true. There's, no. there's more opportunities for anybody yeah. uh, out there. I think that, again, I think that you've got to go ahead and solve a problem. I think it's got to be within a niche product and a niche category. Mm -hmm. I think you have to understand specifically who you're going to and who, why, what, you know, the purpose yeah. is. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, which, which those aren't any genius re re revelations by any stretch of the imagination but uh, but, but no a lot of people come up with products because it was something they liked they didn't actually think of the, the the problem what's the problem you know who is my avatar who is the you know bob the buyer sally the seller what are their challenges what are their struggles what's their hardship you know what are they what are they dealing with emotionally and then how can i solve that in a beautiful elegant way at a lower cost or better you know better experience most people don't think like that you do and that's that's why I wanted to ask you. No, and I think that, and a lot of it I think goes back to the infomercial years because the yeah. infomercial is you're solving a problem and it's all demonstrable. Uh -huh. So I apply that to everything that we do in the sense that we've all seen the commercial where they yeah. take the red wine, they pour it on the white rug, and yeah. thirty seconds later it's going, "Wow, look at that!" You know, yeah. uh, it's very demonstrable. You can go ahead and see it. Are you, know? you an alcoholic who drinks too much red wine? <laughs> yes. You need this product. <laughs> yeah. Buy it today. The uh, yes, yeah, so but wait. If you buy one, we'll include a second one. No, sorry. You, you do. I, yeah, I, exactly. I love infomercials. Yeah, yeah. But you do learn a lot from it. I think I think yeah. that the, uh, you know, I think marketing is a fascinating uh, thing. I think it, uh, you know, I enjoy it, but I think that if you apply a lot of those principles to, again, yeah. solving that problem, having something that's very demonstrable, yeah. you know, um, secondarily, I think that the, uh, this Instagram world has changed in the sense of the entire food category, yeah. food industry. Talk about the, that. The, the idea is almost everything that people make, it's got to be Instagrammable. Yeah. So therefore, yeah. Uh, the artisan uh, comes into play. Sure. So when you look at the successful brands out there today, most of them are taking extra care to the toppings, to the presentation, yep. to mm -hmm. the look, to the feel, as opposed to sticking a soda in the fountain and you know yeah. away you go. Yeah. Uh, because things can become so viral, yeah. people can relate to it. Yep. Um, and I think it's just you know, is it Instagrammable or not? Yeah. And if it's not, yeah, yeah. we're not going to put it on the menu or make it Instagrammable. Yeah. So, so you talk about like, you know, solving a problem as the creation of a product. How do you launch a new product? Like, I mean, with, I'm thinking of the, you know, the Exumer franchise owners, like, you know, you got to get the word out to them. You got to describe the problem, I'm assuming, right? And then here's how we solved it. And this is what it looks like. And this is how it works. Like, how does that roll out? Well, first off, I think the most important thing people have to, people have to stay on brand, you know, yeah. in the sense of, you know, we sell uh, 
smoothies, juices, bowls. You know, yeah. if all of a sudden I start selling peanut butter sandwiches or hamburgers or yeah. you know, whatever it may be, yeah. what Starbucks did, you know, that's yeah, yeah. totally took them off brand. Told them, took them yep. off brand. I've yep. you know, last two or three CEOs of uh, Jamba Juice I've had dinner with, and yeah. one a couple a couple of years ago we're at Figanola for dinner, and I said, out of curiosity, when you walk into oh. a when I walk into a Jamba or any guest walks in, yeah. what do you want to what do you want them to see? What do you want them to feel? What do you want them to buy? Yeah. And he said, I want to have I want to have something to sell to every single person that comes in. Oof. And I didn't tell my opinion on that, but you yeah. know what it was. Yeah, like, that's yeah. horrible. And that just made no to sense to me at all. If you try to be everything to everyone, you are nothing to no one. Like that's the that's marketing number one. You, you kept saying niche earlier, right? right? Yeah. So, yeah. As, as far as the development of product, I think that it's it's changed for us and become a little bit more complex just because we're nationwide now. Yeah. And I'll give you an example. Last year, we did a um, kombucha smoothie. Mm-hmm. That, the idea was that sparkling fresh, reduced the calories, fat, yeah. uh, sugar by 50%. So mm-hmm. a terrific drink right you know what kombucha is i know what kombucha is you go down to you know houston and albuquerque and el paso I'm like, huh? Kombucha. What the what? <laughs> you know, God bless you. Yeah, and literally, yeah. we ended up with forty thousand dollars of extra kombucha that we ordered because we were so off on the expectation yeah. on yeah. the education. Yeah. You know, nationwide. So, uh, you know, it is true that things start on both coasts and they push in. Yeah. You know, and the middle of the country is now starting to catch up, but yeah. it's taken a while. Yeah. Um, so therefore, you've got to make sure that you understand your demographic and who you're selling to. Yeah. Um, so that the you know and the kombucha you know taught us a good lesson. It didn't really cost us a whole lot, but I just thought it was a fascinating lesson in the sense of we made the assumption that everybody knew what kombucha was. Yeah. Orange County, they do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. El Paso, they don't. Yeah. Orange County, the little bubble. There we go. Um, so, so let me go a different direction. I wrote down this question because, so I, I was on Instagram last night and I said, okay, if you could sit down with a CEO of a, you know, fast growing, huge business, what are the questions you would ask? And uh, one of the questions, and I'm actually pulling up my little Instagram stories here. One of the questions was, um, how do you maintain relevancy and your position in the market? Especially something like yours where there's, there's got to just be a ton of competition. There is. You know, I think that what happens in this space is that the in any space, yeah. you know, if you're successful, then people yep. duplicate it. You yeah. know, whether it's Lyft and or whether it's Uber, then Lyft or whatever yep. it is. You know, yeah. um, you know, or in your space or anybody else's. 100%. Uh, and so with us, you know, we had, had we had basically a five year runway to get ahead of everybody. But yep. then, sure enough, uh, people caught up. You know, yeah. and, and and I'm self aware enough that I can go into to some of these places today, and there's not a differentiator that I like to see, which doesn't make me happy. Yeah, you know. So now coming up on our 10 year anniversary, mm-hmm. we've been on a very aggressive uh, phase on all aspects to reinvent once again. Yeah, because that's we, that whole relevancy. You've got to, and that's the only yeah. way to remain relevant. You've yeah. got to reinvent. You got to you got to stay yeah. in, in front of the the eyeballs, keep people uh, uh, engaged with what you're doing, and if you just become sort of, eh, you know, yeah. Uh, that we are the same as everybody else, then what's the point? Why go to Nectar instead of go to, you know, the juice ABC down the street? Every lender, every real estate agent, every title rep, all the people that work in the real estate space, they have the same exact issue. But usually it'll come down to a personal relationship, but it's hard to scale 165 locations in a personal relationship, or is it? Well, I don't think so. I think I think the same principles apply. I think that you know, as a you know, as you preach on a regular basis, you evolve as a person. Mm-hmm. You know, people say they can't change; they can change. Yep. You know, and I think as far as they uh, can, they evolve. They should be evolving every day. You, know, yep. you wake up, and you know, what are you thinking about driving to work? What yep. are you thinking about yes. when you wake up? You know, yeah. you and I have different thoughts, but my thoughts are you know are almost always related to the company and the brand, and mm-hmm. you know what I can do. Obviously, family comes first, but when yep. I'm thinking about the company and the yep. growth, but it's 
evolving the brand to make it more relevant, to make it more exciting, to make it more engaging. How can I improve that guest experience? What's going to, okay, so I'm the same as somebody else on the street in theory. Mm -hmm. Okay, what's going to go ahead and differentiate me and turn it upside down and leave those guys, you know, yeah, in the dust. If you just, for you, the people that are watching and listening, if you just took that question, what am I doing that is, a, you know, that massive degree of separation? Like why me versus the competition? If you just keep noodling on that, Every entrepreneur is going to come up with good ideas. The challenge is most people aren't thinking about it. So, so is it is it the ten year mark that you're? Is it ten year or is it the competition or you getting a little like what's the uh, my buddy Chad Cooper says spelkies I think it is little hands yeah. in your pants oh, yeah, like yeah. you feel that nervousness like when do you know you need to reinvent? The the ten years just have to coincide with the right time. Meaning yeah. that the, the, the we've been there ten years, we have evolved as we've grown, but now it's time for a bigger change than that. Yeah, um, I just think it is. I think if you go back and you look at the history of Starbucks, you know, back in two thousand seven or eight, they had four hundred stores planned. You know, Howard Schultz came in and said, "I want to go to eight hundred stores." Yeah, you know, um, that didn't work out so well. They yeah. ended up closing six hundred about two years later. Yeah, if you if you remember Starbucks back in the day, it had the gray tile and the green grout and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. You go into a Starbucks today, it's not the same thing. No. you know, um, I think that the experience has also changed because it's you're looking at. Um, you know, third-party delivery services, mm -hmm. you know, as an example, which I, which I think is fascinating. So we started testing last October, not last October, it was a year ago, October. We did a test with the with the DSPs, which is delivery service providers, which would be uh, Uber Eats, Postmates, yeah. all those kind of yeah, companies, yeah. right? Uh, we launched it system-wide in January. If you take deliveries now system-wide, we're at about 33% of our sales. Really? Which is which I think is an amazing thing. Yeah. You know, um, but that changed a lot of things. Mm -hmm. You know, again, using that Starbucks model, yeah. you know, if you read, which I, again, you hear me talk about Starbucks, I'm, you know, I think Howard Schultz is just unbelievable what Genius. he's done. Yeah, it's just, just fantastic. And I think that, uh, you know, he was all about the coffee experience, the third yeah. place. Yeah. Then it evolved to drive-throughs. You know, then it, now it's evolved to they're building and testing 500 square foot stores, which are pickup only, yeah. which goes completely against what he started yeah. off with yeah. was building that Italian but coffee experience. Convenience now, you know, it is like the convenience economy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is convenient. You know, yeah. it, it is convenient, and I think that the uh, habits of people have uh, changed and how they're buying. It's, you know, it's mm -hmm. a very fast society. Yeah. You know, too fast for us. Meaning, and what I mean by that is too fast with the kids, meaning they need to have that instant gratification yes. and yes. an instant thing. But I think that. Same thing with if you're a broker or you're an individual, it's again, how do you differentiate yourself from the guy down the street? You know, yeah. what is different? And you've got to be able to identify it. If there's not a hook, you know, like, you know, you always exactly. talk about that. Yeah. You've always, you always have to talk about what that uh, differentiator is. And if you don't know what the differentiator is, how are your clients going to know? Yep. So whether it be a broker, whether it be a, you know, a, a nectar or be anything else, yeah. you really got to understand it. And I think that people need to spend a lot of time yeah. on that question. And, you know, it's got to resonate with them. And if it doesn't, there's some issues. Yeah. And, and this is just like for all my listeners, it's the difference between Realtor.com that started 10 years prior to Zillow, but Zillow came out with a hook called Zestimate. And even though it drove a ton of people nuts because the prices were incorrect and it, you know, they, they didn't call it an exactimate. They called it a Zestimate. Like here's an estimate of what it could be worth. But that degree of separation got a million views the first month. Right. And today is even even still today now, 14, 15 years later, it is their degree of separation. Right. So it's so important that people noodle on that. Well, so, and, 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 go, yeah, and go. you go back to you yeah. go back to solving problems. Yeah. And I'm sure you complained to me about this uh, for years early on is it takes too long. 
Yeah. You, know, you go in and get smooth. You know, we make it fresh, handcrafted. But that takes yeah, yeah. time. Yeah. But in today's society, people don't have time, right? Yep. So we uh, we were the first one in our space to, or I believe the first one, pretty much, to develop an online ordering app. So yep. you get out of the shower, you can have yeah. your favorite press, you can choose when you want to pick it up yep. immediately or after yep. or whatever, which today is common. Yes. But several years ago, it isn't. Yeah. You know, we went from, I want to say, $10,000 our first month to... We probably do six or seven hundred thousand dollars a week just on our phone. Yeah, you know, just because of that convenience aspect, yeah. which again drives traffic yep. differently. You have fewer yep. people in the stores; they're picking it up. So, how do you design the stores differently? So, yeah, uh, so it's a different problem uh, each day, but that's all part of the evolution. Yeah, um, and so I think that uh, it's important that you know everybody think about that. Yeah, you know where they want to be, yeah. who are they, and. You know, 100%. What do they represent? What is it? It's all all businesses, innovation and marketing, like Peter Drucker's kind of famous line. Like, if you're not innovating all the time and, and not for you, for your customer, right. what does your customer want? What, what's their mindset? Do, do they want convenience? Do they want experience? Do they want both? And make sure people are innovating for the right reason. Yeah. You don't innovate yes. to innovate. You don't just yeah. innovate to innovate. No. Because then you're going to confuse people. No, exactly. You know, and so so I think that people often, when they say innovate, all of a sudden they try and they go from, you know, brown hair to red hair to, you know, yeah. blonde hair. You know, yeah. that's not what you got to do. Yeah. You've got, by by innovate, it's, you know, within, mm-hmm. you know, and it's got to be within a, uh, you know. A, 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 a framework a, of a, what's the problem the customer has. Right, exactly. <laughs> think how, of them. How could we do this better for our customer? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How do you make it more yeah. convenient for your customer? How yeah. do you make it easier? How do you yeah. deliver the documents yep. easier? What's the yep. process? How can I show houses more? How yep. can I get the guest in and out? What is yep. the, What do they complain about? Their complaint, my problem was it took too long. How yeah. do I solve the problem? We do an app. Yeah. It can be ready anytime they want. You know, yeah. so the, using a simple example, but yeah, things yeah, yeah, like yeah. That, so. And then you have the other problem, which is, oh my God, now we're all sitting at the mad rush between 6.30 and 7 on the app orders, and then you got all the customers waiting in line. So did you have to change staffing? Like, I mean, remember, it's like, it's like I was looking at the, what are the unintended consequences of this innovation? We're solving this, but does it create another problem someplace else? Uh, it always does. I think that there's collateral impact to almost all decisions that are made. And yeah. I think that people fail to understand it. And some of it are surprising, you know, in the yeah. sense of that you always kind of get blindsided and you hear yeah. stories of, you know, of, of the collateral impact of mm-hmm. decisions being made. And, uh, you know, how does that impact retail? You know, you look yeah. at retail and you look at the Amazon effect on almost everybody. For sure. You know, what's that going to do to the retail space and experience? Because, again, people are using Instacart. They're not going to the pharmacy as much. Yep. That's gonna, is that going to impact the dry clean that's in that center? Sure. Yeah, you know, is it, gonna, is it gonna impact me? I like to be next to a Starbucks and an Orange Theory Fitness and a exactly. daily needs type deal, but if all of a sudden the traffic is dropping by ten or 20 percent a year, that's gonna have an impact. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm uh, you know on my business. Yeah, you know, how do I solve that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this has been real. Okay, so I'm gonna I want to finish with with two questions. Uh, as we kind of wrap it up, what advice would you give, just sort of broadly, to someone that is just just getting ready to start a business versus uh, what would you say to that person that needs to reinvent their business? The, <clears throat> frankly, I think both of the, I'd probably tell them both the same thing because I think both people, you don't do this because I think you're very good at this and I know you well enough, that way too many people listen to the white noise. Yeah. They ask way too many people's opinions. Yeah. Uh, it impacts their decision making, whether they realize it or not. Yeah. And I think that you've got to be committed to what you do. You've got to have the internal fortitude to go Mm -hmm. forward and make that decision. And once you make the decision, go with it. Yeah. I could care less what somebody says. Yeah. When I started Nectar, obviously, not very few people thought, hey, it's a fad, stupid idea. What are you doing? Yeah. Hey, man, the whole world's falling apart. Why are you starting a business right now? Right? Exactly. And and the same thing. I think think that when people are starting a business, 
they can think of every reason in the world why it's not going to work. Or their friends are going to think of every, yep. every reason in the world. Yep. They can't let that impact them when they're going to go ahead and uh, you know invent them, you know reinvent themselves or evolve or or um, you know elevate or, in, yeah. you know innovate yeah. who they are. I think it's a little bit different because I don't think the white the white noise does have an impact. Yeah. But again, I think they got to put a pen and paper to it. And really understand and look at it from almost as a, a third person, so to speak. Like you're looking down on it yeah. and say, is this really, am I really different from the guy down the street? You know, if I'm a broker, what's the difference between, and be honest with yourself, yeah. be self-aware. Yeah. And I think too many people are not self-aware with what they, uh, who they are, what they do, yeah. um, what, what they need to bring, bring the talent in. And I think that uh, ego gets in the way. You know, I think that's a problem. So I think that, uh, you know, for those people, I think they've got to set their ego to the side. I think that they've got to look at it from as though they were above and, and be honest with themselves. Is there really different? Don't ask anybody else. Ask yourself. Yeah. And then once you've narrowed down those questions, then go to people that you trust. Call somebody like you up or me up yeah. or somebody else and say, hey, what do you think? Yeah. You know, so I think that that's a, you know, that's an important thing to do. I think you, I mean, you touched on self-awareness. Like in my, my second book, I talked about these addictions that people dealt with. And one of them is the addiction to the past. And when you talk to entrepreneurs, when they when they start with, I'm like, well, tell me about your last, oh, my, my last business, it was unbelievable. How's it going now? Oh, man, like, you know, it's just the market's changed. Things are really tough. And I'm like, well, are you still doing all the shit you used to do in the past? They're like, well, we've always done it like that. Like, that, that's how my industry does it. I'm like, you're dead. Do you know what I mean? Like that just stuck in the past mentality, lack of growth mindset, lack of innovation. So self-awareness. It is. I think it's lack of self-awareness. I think it's a right-mindedness. I think that, you know, you're right-minded. I think I'm right-minded. I mean, I I think I understand who I am. I think I understand what other people think of me or who who I am. I understand where I've got to go go ahead and grow. But I think a lot of people don't have that. And I think that they've got to, uh, to do it because if they are doing the same things, you know, it's a, it's a changing world. Yeah. Accept it, embrace it, move on and they can grow with it, but they've got to go ahead and accept that challenge head on. They can't ignore it. They can't stick their head in the sand. They can't think, Hey, how am I ever going to catch up now? There's more opportunity. Like I said before, there's more opportunity today in anything, whether it be real estate or anything else. But the key is, are they going to go ahead and evolve, integrate those changes and execute? Yeah. Because you got to execute. So that's the whole game. Dude, this has been really fun. Hey, appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Great we, to see you. We could have done this in Scotland or London. I know. Exactly. One of those golf, places. Golf there. trips coming up soon. Exactly. So, so listen, as we wrap up, so Steve, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, uh, should they follow you on Instagram? If, if somebody wanted to ask you a question, can they ask you a question? They can. You know, I, one of the things I'd love to do is I'd love to... Um, well, frequently I'll reach out myself. If I see a young emerging brands out there, yeah. I'll call them up and yeah. sit down with them. Uh, people frequently come in, whether they be students or people mm-hmm. that have one or two yeah. restaurants in our space and come into my office and I sit down with them and we talk about things. And sometimes yeah. there's opportunities to do things together. Sometimes yeah. they're just wondering, hey, how you scale, how you yeah. grow, how do you, yeah. how do you engage the, the staff, you yeah. know, uh, which is an entirely different question. Um, yeah, so, they're, you know, Steve at NectarJuiceBar.com. Uh, Steve Schultz official at uh, Instagram, so yeah. they can reach out through a DM there and cool. um, uh, reach out anytime. And I'm, I think that uh, I think that when they come to me for advice or looking for things, I usually end up learning more from them and Bingo. things. So I think that's the key. Is that yeah. I don't do it because I'm, I'm that altruistic. Although I do think you have to give back, and I, I yes. really enjoy doing it. Yeah. But what I find is not only do I have a personal satisfaction, but I usually learn something. You know, the, there's something the, the, they're doing that's innovative and different. You're like, okay, I just gave you seven nuggets. And you just gave me one killer. That's yeah. all you need. Is that, I follow the same mindset, same Bill Mitchell, right? Who yeah, helps sure. start Shady Canyon. I'm like, why do you meet with so many people all the time? He's like, first of all, it's good to give back. 
He's like, second, when I get these young, crazy entrepreneurs and they got these crazy ideas, he's like, every now and then I'm like, oh, I'm taking that back to the Irvine company or whatever it may be. So they I do respect that. that. There, there's a lot of great ideas out yeah. there and uh, and you sort of stock, you know, some you can implement, some you just yeah. stock away and you exactly. never know. It's kind of like you have a pantry. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got a pantry full and you kind of go in there and pull things out every now and again. Pantry. You like that? Yeah. Pantry. You like that? Yeah, Hashtag pantry of ideas. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, as we wrap it up, uh, thank you. And thank you for my, uh, for my listeners out there. We always appreciate you. Um, you know, keep asking questions. Definitely follow up with this guy if you've got, uh, you know, questions regarding the food industry or launching something. Brilliant guy. Lots of interesting background. We could have spent hours just digging in all this stuff. But this was this was really good, man. So appreciate you. Buddy. Love all right, you, buddy. guys. We'll see you all soon. If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.